Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beyond 1894 podcast. My name is Kelly Cole. I'm the Research Communication Specialist for Louisiana Tech, and today we're going to be talking about something that is really exciting for me. I really um, love this topic. I think that it's an important topic, especially now more than ever, and I have some very special guests with me. So today we're going to be talking about women in STEM um, and the recruitment and retention of women in STEM, um, as well as even what is a woman in STEM if you don't know already. So we have Dr. Allie DeLeo Allen. We have Dr. Crystal Cruz. And then we have Lauren Paul. Um, Dr. DeLeo Allen and Dr. Cruz are both from our College of Engineering and Science. And then Lauren is also, she's a student, um, actually graduating in November in biomedical engineering. So I'm so excited to have them. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Beyond 1894 podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Yes. Thank you for having us. Yes. I was telling them this is a really big full circle moment for me. I wrote an article about women in STEM that actually helped me get an internship in the Office of University Communications, and um, now I have a full-time job here. So really full circle for me to do this. So let's just get started. For those of us who don't know, and anybody can answer this, is who are women in STEM? What What is a woman in STEM? So STEM, um, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, tends to be a white male-dominated field. So being a woman in STEM, you are automatically in the minority in those fields. And so um, being a woman in STEM, to me, is kind of defying those barricades that have been set in front of you, um, but also finding other people who are going through the same situation as you and forming that community. Um, it tends to be women in STEM is an extremely strong community. Um, and so I'll pass it off to Dr. Cruz if you have. Sure. Um, so when you, when you propose that question, I started to think about an activity that I heard of like long ago where you ask somebody, what does a scientist look like or what does an engineer look like? And it's always like someone who, you know, conducts a train or something like that or someone with flasks and a Bunsen burner or like goggles. And so I thought about that question when you said, what is a woman, a, what, what do women in STEM look like? And, um, you know, I think maybe immediately you might think stereotypically like, you know, someone who is, you know, maybe <laughs> you might think uh, stereotypically of what a woman in STEM looks like, but re in reality, a woman in STEM looks like just every woman, you know, and it's just someone who has an interest in the STEM fields and pursues that. And then with that, when you make that decision to pursue it as a woman in STEM, like Dr. DeLeo Allen was saying, you find that community and it helps you push through it because we are in the minority. But it is that drive and that determination. And it's someone who dreams and someone who loves science and mathematics and engineering and, and wants to make the world a better place through what they choose to do in those fields. Right. And so what other than obviously being a woman sets women in STEM apart in the worlds of, you know, the academic or even corporate or business world? I think perspective. Um, when you have the same like people at a table making decisions, you get the same perspectives typically. And so whenever you invite people that have um, different experiences, and in this case based on um, their gender, then that opens the opportunity for new perspectives, things that were not thought of before, not considered in decisions. Um, and you make sure that you are having a very diverse and um, 
inclusive environment and rules and regulations that help promote that. Yeah, Lauren, I know you had some experience with some internships, uh, being a woman in the STEM field, uh, in the corporate world. Where have you, like, how have you seen that? I've definitely seen it. And so I interned with a medical device company. And one of the big things that we wanted was we wanted our medical device to fit both men and women. And so that was a task even, you know, with the different, um, curves of a woman compared to a man. So that's stuff we have to take into consideration. But if you had a team full of male engineers, they might not take that into consideration. So we had a big part in that and trying to take a woman's perspective, like, hey, our hips are a little different. Our legs are a little different. Like it was something that I thought was interesting that I was able to bring to the table. Um, but also just leadership, like it was inspiring to see other women in these higher positions that I worked with and definitely in manufacturing processes. Like I would go in with the stereotypical, I'm about to be surrounded by men and it's not a problem, but it is super refreshing to the lead person at the table was a woman. It's just, like I said, it's nice to see different perspectives like Dr. Delia was saying. And so Lauren, why did you choose to go into biomedical engineering? So I kind of have a little story, I guess. Um, when I was in high school, there was a bad wreck in front of my house and it ended up being my little brother's friend and he mm -hmm. had lost his leg due to the incident. So they played on a baseball team together and I went to one of their games and I saw him with his prosthetic leg and he was just wobbling to first base. And I I went to feel bad for him, but I was just so interested in the leg and how that he was so quick to adapt. I mean, this was within months of therapy. And so I kind of sat there and I was like, well, how many people do I know with a prosthetic? And so I have a cousin who's missing an arm and I have different family relatives that are also seeing that as well. So I went into biomedical engineering thinking I wanted to do prosthetics and orthotics. So I shadowed at a clinic and then I realized this isn't really for me. It's not that it's not, but I just have an interest in other fields of biomedical engineering, which is really nice to see our growth on our campus and how much they offer in different topics. And I know this isn't just for biomedical, for electrical, mechanical, chemical. We all go in with this, uh, this is what I want to do, but it's so nice to see different opportunities and pathways that are to offer within the field that no one thinks about. I mean, packaging engineering, that's something that I just recently learned about, and it's so crucial to everything that we do. So there's so many more options that I can go on and on, but that's my story of my growth. And why did y'all, I mean, now as professors, um, decide to go into STEM fields? Um, it's kind of interesting to think back to 18-year-old Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and really, I was kind of a determined person and like kind of headstrong, very headstrong. And I think maybe that's a feature you see or characteristic you see in a lot of women in STEM, but... Um, Anyway, I, I like wanted the challenge because I heard engineering. Honestly, I heard engineering was the hardest discipline. <laughs> and, and you I were thought, like, I'm going to prove I'm myself. Gonna do, yeah, I'm going to prove myself. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I proved that I could do it. And honestly, I really did love math and science. And it was something that I always gravitated to. And my father's an engineer. And so I was so lucky to have a supportive role model in my life that pushed me and said, hey, you can do this. Um, and I think... Uh, role models for anybody who wants to go in STEM, but especially women in STEM, is so important to have somebody that says, hey, you can do it. Um, and so 
like for me now as a professor in engineering, I want to be that role model for students who come in because I want to, I don't know if they had that support growing up. And so if I can make a small impact and say, hey, you can do this and help push them forward, um, that's just like a full circle moment for me. Um, like Dr. Cruz, I really enjoyed math and science growing up. And um, I have an older sister who pursued engineering, and I really liked to hear what she was doing. And so we went into different engineering disciplines. Um, but that was one reason that I went into it. Um, also, I think you're completely right, headstrong being a characteristic. <laughs> I was probably a little more stubborn. Um, so whenever someone said, oh, you can't do this, it was kind of a watch me. And I'll, I'll prove you wrong. And so, um, and that's what some women in STEM unfortunately go through in their career and in college and um, in professional world is maybe someone doubting them. And um, I think that is a really good characteristic of women in STEM that we'll say, watch. And then we sometimes even surprise ourselves, I think, with what we can do. So we've already kind of touched on it, but what has your own, and, and Lauren touched on it with, you know, going into her internship and seeing a woman as the lead um, in this, you know, engineering internship. Um, but what has been your perspective or your perspe- uh, your experience on being a woman in STEM in, you know, this male-dominated field? Okay, I guess I'll go first. Um, I've definitely had some tough times, which is brought up when you ask, you know, how, why women in STEM? Well, we're the minority. Well, why the minority? Well, we do have that almost it's comments made or different feels when you walk into a room and it's nothing that is negative or positive. I'm just, I don't want there to be a negative aura that, you know, women in STEM were against men. It's not that. And so, like I said, I've definitely had some negative comments made from male co- like colleagues or different students, even in groups that have been really disheartened, disheartening, but I've also had that support from professors and other female students and other colleagues that, have been super nice and almost encouraging. I feel that a lot of women don't stick in STEM because of that, that they don't have that encouragement or don't have that support that they need. And so I said, I guess I'm just rambling. (laughs) 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 While we're pausing, hold on. Sorry. Okay. I'm like moving around. I'm like, that's making really bad noises. Okay, sorry. So yeah, I like to echo what Lauren said a little bit in that I don't want a negative aura to be kind of placed on like being a woman in STEM because I think that there's a lot of, like Allie said at the beginning, there's so much support and there's a community that can build you up. And that's one of the things that I love about tech is because we do have a lot of resources for females in STEM, whether it's student organizations through different colleges um, on campus, or we're, Allie and I are co-directors of the Office of Women in Science Engineering for COES, and that is a huge strategic initiative that we have um, from our college with support from our dean. And so um, I do want to first say that I think that there's an importance to emphasize that there is, um, there there are opportunities for females and there's there's support and there's resources and things like that but you know from my own experience yeah I mean being a woman in STEM you are a minority and so there have been instances where I've experienced you know maybe questionable things like I remember in a previous job before tech um, (laughs) I had a, a boss that he would call the male workers later in the evening but he wouldn't call me even though I was their boss. 
you know, and it was just like, he just wasn't comfortable with that. And I feel like that was, I was like, just because I'm female, I don't really understand um, why that was the case. And so that was kind of an experience that I had where I had to think, okay, how do I overcome this? How do I communicate to him that I'm okay with that and do my job appropriately? And and so you kind of have to come around things. If you do experience something like that in the workplace or in, in as you're pursuing your degree, you know, you have to kind of rise above and kind of learn how to rise above. And I think kind of going back to those resources that we have on campus, I think that we can help build that community and help students to learn, okay, that this is how you overcome this. This is how you rise above. Yeah, you definitely have some unfortunate situations where, you know, some comment is made and it's up to you, like Dr. Cruz is saying, to rise above it. Um, in the same vein, though, there are definitely um, male counterparts that are your allies. Yes, um, I can absolutely. vividly remember in um, one of our classes, um, manufacturing processes and if anyone's listening and you went into mechanical engineering for the last whatever years you have the made housing. one of these grinder housing yes <laughs> and um i have small hands you can't see them but i have small hands and so part of the process is you have to flip this mold um and i couldn't get my hands around it and i still remember this student and i won't name him um but if you're listening you know that you have made a big impact on me. Um, he just walked up and kind of just quietly said, do you need help? And I said, yeah, would you mind? And he just flipped it, walked away, and that was it. And I don't know if he knew how big of an impact that had, but it wasn't that he doubted my ability to do, to make this grinder housing or anything because I was a woman. I just amounted disadvantage on that one thing. I couldn't flip it. And he helped me through it and moved on with his day. Um, and so that was huge. And that's... Um, so if any men are listening, you know, what can you do? Be an ally, be an advocate. If you're sitting at a table and you look around, you're like, we don't have any other women here, or any women at all here, invite somebody. Let them yeah. be part of that conversation. You'd be surprised what happens. Right. It's all about bringing new perspectives to the table, and I know that we, we touched on that. Um, and along kind of like those same lines of, you know, bringing more women to the table in terms of, you know, or even other minority groups who may even be less represented, um, maybe because of the resources growing up, or maybe they were told to shy away from math or science or any of those fields. Um, there's a, was a surprising statistic for me. Um, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics said that less than 50% of women work in STEM-related fields, and in 2020, only an average of 18.99% make up our College of Engineering and Science-focused programs on our campus. So how can we continue to recruit and retain women in STEM in these related degree programs and provide them with the skills needed to propel them into successful careers? I know that we touched on organizations, and we do have a new Women in STEM organization that started last year um, and I know that y'all have programs in engineer the College of Engineering and Science that y'all touched on earlier but how can we do um, maybe even a better job in you know middle school and high school and when these kids especially in the United States are making choices about you know their future and their and their lives and deciding what programs they want to go into and in, you know in high school. I guess I can go first, too. Um, so I personally work for Dr. Corbett and um, Dr. Swambaum, and we do something called Project Complete, where we make what we have our 120 projects are, our fish tank and a robot. We simple them down for middle school and high schoolers. And so schools will come to us and ask for the 
project and we give it to them and it's super nice because there's a curriculum with it and I think just involving those young students in small engineering classes nothing too difficult but something that's eye-opening like a young girl might look at that and say I never thought about that you know or even boys like just getting more people into STEM is such a big thing and I think that's personally helpful I mean I've even seen like Barbies are doing more things towards STEM like you know there's an astronaut Barbie there's a scientist Barbie and we'll for me, I just had one in a pretty dress. You know, I didn't get to have right. all that cool stuff. A yeah, <laughs> and so I think that's super motivational. And just, I mean, even Disney, like I've seen TV shows where they're introducing women in STEM. I just, I think the more advertisement and the more inspiration that scene is going to definitely recruit them. And our college is doing that as well. I mean, just Welcome Week, um, SWE, and just different organizations. They're grabbing those freshmen and pulling them and saying, hey, get involved, you know, don't go in somewhere where you're not, not don't go somewhere where you're not going to have support, but come here where you definitely will have support early on that we can help you out through just the first day of class. Why not meet a friend, meet someone that's going to stick by your side through your curriculum. I mean, to me, I personally don't think I would be here without my friends. You know, everyone that supported me through my projects, our late night homework sessions. I mean, Everyone goes, like, you know, everyone has fun on the weekends, and we don't. We have to sit in the ISB and do homework. But without those friends, I definitely wouldn't be here. Well, and I've heard a lot of my friends in engineering, um, even my guy friends in engineering, say, you know, um, it's that first year is grueling. And it's like, oh, my Lord, I don't know if I'll ever make it out of that first year of engineering, no matter, you know, your concentration or, like, what specific field you're going into, whether it's mechanical or civil. Um, and it's, you know, people say, oh, it's to weed us out. But I think it's to see what you're capable of and to see, you know, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses and what do you need to work on? And like you said, it's so important, especially as freshmen coming in. But it's so important to get together with like-minded people and with people who are going through the same struggles um, because that will bond you <laughs> going through yes. the struggles yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of on that note, uh, talking about students who kind of, you know, especially females when they're kind of halfway through that first year, there's um, a presentation that one of our colleagues does, Dr. Stacy McAdams, um, on imposter syndrome. And that's something that everybody experiences. It's not, it's not, you know, specific to the sciences and the math and the engineering. It's not specific to males and females. But um, I think specifically in our disciplines, females do experience it at a great level because of just how they approach, you know, solving problems and being in a class and, and, and the openness to ask questions and things like that. And so it does hurt me a little bit when I hear things like that because I'm, you know, just wondering, oh, was it truly their decision or was it just that that negative voice in their minds, in their heads? And I think one of the things that we can do to help those students is for people like myself and Dr. DeLeo Allen, other female instructors to be role models and in the forefront so that and, and to be a welcome door for them to come talk to you. And so that's one of our goals, I know, between the two of us is to welcome those students in and hopefully provide them with even more resources in the future, but also just be someone they can talk to. And I think I agree completely. Dr. Cruz and our effort with OWISE, um, I think speaks to what we see with these statistics and how we want to go and improve them. Um, the 19% of females in our College of Engineering and Science, um, that's right on par with the national average. And that's 
a little discouraging, um, just that in the nation that's our numbers, um, but by no means are we satisfied with those here at Louisiana Tech. We want to do better and, and boost those numbers up. Um, and kind of touching on what Dr. Cruz was talking about, there's a lot of research out there about in-group peers and in-group experts, so meaning um, women in STEM or women in, or minorities in a field seeing other minorities in their field as peers, so as students in the classroom, students in their community that they're building, um, but also in the classroom as their faculty or instructor or lecturer. Um, and so that's really what we are hoping with our OWISE efforts is to build that community with our students and our faculty, not only within those two cohorts, but bringing them together as one. Um, we even have an event coming up in the next coming weeks, um, kind of a speed meet and greet with our faculty and students for our female students to meet our female faculties, because as um, these connections are grown, the more you a student can connect with the female faculty, and see that they have things in common past just their major, the more inclined they are to build a community and a relationship with their faculty member, and hopefully that impacts their retention. Um, and like Dr. Cruz is saying, having our doors open, um, wanting to speak with any female student or any student in general that is really questioning their route. Because I do think um, through the first year experience at tech um, in engineering, they get to taste a little bit of all the different types of engineering and make an educated decision on their path. But um, And so we do have some students that realize this is not for me and my strengths are in some other um, major. But we, I think we've lost several females that are women that um, would be great in STEM. And then, like Dr. Cruz was saying, some voice or something was happening that just deterred them. And so we want to make sure that OWISE is that community that these students can come in and feel a part of and kind of tackle and defeat that imposter syndrome um, together. Yeah, there are I, a story comes to mind, um, on like an own personal story. Um, they say that, you know, during those crucial development years of your life, the things that you hear stick with you and they impact, you know, how your brain wraps around certain things. So when I was in the first grade, um, my first grade teacher, who was a coworker with my mom, told her that I wasn't very strong in math because I couldn't guess the amount of bears in a jar. And that impacted for the rest of my life. I never did well in math. Still to this day, I'm so intimidated by my MBA because, I mean, I, am I going to succeed? Because I And the idea from that is because of a first grade teacher told me I couldn't guess the amount of bears in a jar. Um, not even like addition or subtraction. Like it was just, <laughs> the, some, just some yes. colorful bears. <laughs> yes, yes. And that is just, that stuck with me. And so, you know, I, it goes all the way back to there is how are we speaking to our students? How are we encouraging them? And so that is, you know, great that and tech does a great job of it, of having faculty that really encourages across all of the colleges. I've gotten so much encouragement from like Dr. McCumber and um I mean, different people in the College of Business about you can do this. Where, where are you getting this idea that you can't? Um, and it goes back to little first grade Kelly um, truly believing that she wasn't good because she overheard it from somebody that she was really influenced by. I think that's what's so interesting is it starts so young. Yeah. Even when you don't even think you're making an impact, um, there was a commercial, I think, I don't, I'm not sure who put it out, but it's a commercial of a little girl growing up. And 
she's playing in the mud and you can hear one of her parents say, don't do not do that. That's dirty. Get out of there. Or don't touch that. Or let your brother do that, you know, working with a hand drill or something. And she's putting a solar system up like in her room and, you know, sticking stuff on the ceiling. And you can hear like, why are you doing this? We've got to clean that up. And you don't think about it, but those small little things are, you're, you're not very strong at math because you can't estimate the number of bears in a jar, really does impact. And that's, I think, where it has to start changing as, at the very beginning in those conversations. Yeah, one of my friends, a dear friend of mine who is a middle school teacher, she uh, told me a story about how, like, she was reading this article and uh, male students, when they can't solve a problem, the teacher will say, go back and, you know, try and solve it. Like, or, like give them like a, a hint or whatever, but just go and solve it and pushes them back, pushes it back on them. But female students, they'll actually end up just giving them the answer. And so it's like, that's an interesting thing because I think, and it's an implicit bias. It's not something that they're maybe intending to do, but it's those subliminal messages, whether it's outright saying you're not good at it or just subliminal, subliminally saying it, I think it's important that we make an effort to not do those subliminal messages or try and try and better and correct that. So in the first week of October, there's going to be a seminar by Dr. Tamar Goulet on the recruitment and retention of women in STEM. And she's also going to talk about her own research in terms of coral reefs, um, which I kind of think is really interesting, you know, with climate change and everything. Um, but how can the university, faculty and staff and administration, as well as students, benefit from events like this that focus on women's STEM, whether they're, you know, even in a STEM-related field or they're just administration? Yeah, I think it goes back to a common theme that we've been saying and a role model. Like, yeah. she is a leader in her field. She is just killing it in marine biology, like, yeah. like really seriously writing amazing papers. And she's also doing research on women and STEM and retention. And for me, as a faculty member, I'm just inspired by that. And so I think having her come, and it just shows me like, these are the heights you can reach. And so I think that that's inspirational for me and gives me motivation, but also uh, something that students can look to and aspire to and see what they can also achieve. And as they kind of start their careers out. And so I think it's so important that we bring people from different backgrounds and different experiences, not even, not from tech, not from Louisiana, but, you know, all, all over to these students to see them. Definitely. Education on these topics um, can better influence what we, what decisions we make in the future um, and how to improve, you know, the recruitment and retention of women in STEM. So to learn from someone um, so great as she is, this is a really great opportunity for us. And as a student, seeing someone go further than just a bachelor's, I mean, just seeing a woman go out into the world and do what she's doing, it's just super nice to see. And that she's, like Dr. Corbett said, she's not only focused on her research, but also the research in women and how to keep them here. I mean, we had... Dr. Michelle Flim Fry Freeling. Fre yeah, yeah, sorry. Freeling, yeah. Um, with OWIS last year, and she worked for NASA, and it was just a wonderful opportunity. We got to go eat dinner with her and talk with her. And so just getting to – it was almost like we knew her. I don't. I know it sounds funny, but, like, after an hour, like, I knew her favorite book series. I knew her favorite TV series. And so just seeing women and, if she, you know, just seeing what she does 
it's almost that connection that I know her. And so it's going to be easier for me as a female to go up to her, you know, and just be more inspired by her. And you see yourself. Yeah, definitely. Like you, you kind of imagine those people as like, oh, they were in college like me. They made it through. That's a better summary. Time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're, you know, normal people like they can they don't have to stay in the ISB all weekend. They can read a book if they want to. <laughs> but thank y'all so much for joining me. This has been such a great conversation. Um, I love having these conversations with people. Um, and it's been great. And if y'all want to know more about that event coming up, the, that seminar, we have all of our events on the events.lawtech.edu. That's our events calendar for the university. Um, and then we'll also be releasing a little press release about it. It has been great today. I've really enjoyed having y'all. I hope that y'all enjoy our time together too. Yes, thank yes. you. This was so much fun. It was, yes. It's always great to have these kind of conversations. So mm-hmm. yes. we enjoyed it. Yes, we'll have to do it again over coffee or something. Yes. In the IESB. So yeah. I'll, I'll be there. Yes. I'll be there. <laughs> thank you all so much for joining us on Beyond 1894. And we hope that y'all will listen again next time. So have a great week and go dogs. Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.